two windows. Two windows that demarcate place. Places you may know, places you may not. Behind the window on the right is a place I know quite well. From the room behind this window, I can hear the call of the Azan five times a day calling to prayer, television playing what seem to be endless streams of Tigrinya music and dramas, the bass of hip hop wobbling three floors below, long distance phone calls with loud, indistinguishable voices on the receiver, the rumbling of a washer, laughter, yelling, advice, and care. These sounds shape my world. They are sounds that ground me, center my family's home life, how we relate to each other and create a world that provides a different and unexpected methodology for black life and joyousness. Sometimes these sounds that have shaped my world are interrupted by the sounds and vibrations of furalese being practiced on a piano, much better now uh, than in years past, I must say, from the room behind the window depicted on your left. The window on the right represents home, the window on the left, a place I do not know, but one I can hear. Listening, despite often being deemed an unmediated physical act, is an interpretive, socially constructed practice conditioned by historically contingent and culturally specific value systems riven with power relations. As such, I think through how a grammar to the utterances and soundings of sonic Black geographies, particularly those of Black Canada's, disclose power relations wherein racial spatial inequalities are reproduced and contested. I call this grammar in my work as uh, in reference to Catherine McKittrick, the black nowhere. I define the black nowhere as a generative space that demands a nuanced understanding of black being. My contribution to black scholarship is to utilize sound and music as critical terrains to examine black geographic materialities. In his foundational text, Black Like Who, Ronaldo Walcott proposes that the study of what he calls Black Canada's is difficult work due to the challenge of one, achieving visibility for Blackness in a culture that prefers to repress it in the name of anti-racism, and two, the difficulty of avoiding the painful and disappointing moments of essentialized Blackness. Because of sound's relational nature, as Aidan Evans describes, uh, how one hears sound change over time, and so to hear is to hear difference, I employ sound thinking and sound methods as modes through which to expose the fault lines of conceptualizing differences, particularly in relation to anti-Blackness, that are so embedded within the settler nation state, as well as in our everyday lives. Sound, like Blackness, is apparently immaterial, 
However, what exploring blackness through sound studies shows is that blackness, like sound, is constantly in flux and negotiates space, time, and place. My work offers a different critical modality to think through the question Ronaldo Walcott poses in Black Like Who. What, what might Black studies not bear to hear? Or what might Black cultural studies allow us to hear? And in the name of what political project will that hearing be accomplished? Although Walcott may not have been directly speaking about sound studies, his questions and his concept of absented presences on which Catherine McKittrick also builds, uh, as well as Mitchell Akiyama's concept of unsettled listening frame my work. Unsettled listening is a process that invites us to hear through physical properties of space uh, to the resonating stories revealed by the overlapping and contradictory histories and patterns of use to which these spaces are put all too often unacknowledged in the wake of settler colonialism. So unsettled uh, listening helps us see, for example, how the World Soundscape Project defined church bells as a marker of community building in pastoral Canada, uh, but it also demands that we consider how those same church bells also signify, uh, signal settler violence, settler religion, and displacement of Indigenous peoples. These ideas provide my structure for exploring the Black nowhere. And so I think through what it means for us to tune into sonic Black geographies of the Black nowhere by pushing beyond the metaphorical uh, and linguistic use of sound and hearing in Black studies and popular music studies in order to consider how sound and forms of hearing play a crucial role in producing and policing spaces. <laughs> One theory my work develops in order to examine the Black nowhere is that of Blackness as excess. My work responds to Catherine McKittrick's often quoted passage, Blackness is surprising because it should not be here, was not here before, was always here, is only momentarily here, was always over there, beyond Canada, for example. This means then that Black people in Canada are also presumed surprises because they are not here and here simultaneously. They are, like Blackness, unexpected, shocking, concealed in a landscape of systemic Blacklessness, and they exist in a landscape of Blacklessness and have astonishingly rich lives which contradict the essential Black subject. In the Canadian social, no single amount of Blackness is acceptable, as we will see in the, my case studies that follow. I theorize Black excess as Black is too much, more than what is necessary, more than what is permitted, and most important, more than what is desired. As such, it must be managed, and the management of Blackness is often determined by and understood through hyper-surveillance, regulation, and confinement in private spaces workspaces, and public spaces. The act of looking is one way of producing the judgment of excess. Scholars like France Fanon, Bell Hooks, and more recently Simone Brown demonstrate how such acts of looking have constructed, oppressed, and exploited Black people as the racialized other under Western white supremacist capitalist knowledge regimes. Black Canadian studies has revealed the settler state's involvement in anti-Black surveillance, regulation, and management through techniques including advertisements of escaped slaves, which Sylvia Hamilton names freedom runners, the 1911 campaign against Black people's movement into the prairies, the destruction of Black neighborhoods such as Africville, racial profiling, 
over-policing via carding, deportations, the gentrification of predominantly Black neighborhoods from Vancouver to Toronto to Halifax. All of these things solidify Black physical, uh, physical Black nowheres. My work uses sound and music in order to render and to dismantle uh, the violence enacted on Black people. So how do I do this? Part of my work examines the overdetermination of Blackness as excess when it is coded as noise. The term noise is believed to derive either from French, uh, meaning a sound of any kind from any source, especially a sound that is loud and disagreeable, uh, is a disturbance, an uproar, or a brawl, or from Latin nausea, meaning disgust, annoyance, discomfort, literal seasickness, as well as noxia, meaning hurting, injury, or damage. In both French and Latin, the term conveys a negative sense of undesirability, objectionability, and interference, insufferableness, damage, as well as a sense of being out of order. If we consider the range of ways in which sounds are marked as Black, whether they be through genres of music or tones of speech, the socio-political intention of marking sounds as Black in whatever form are often negative. Consequently, these Black sounds are then read as unwarranted, unwanted, unnecessary, and as excess that should be dismissed, made a mockery of, or contained. While Black sounds are not always understood as negative by society, and certainly Black music's as cultural forms are often prized and privileged, paradoxically, when they are unwelcomed by dominant society, Black sounds signal quite the converse. So in this fraught and negative space where Black sound becomes Black noise, it is perceived as criminalized and is negatively received as Black excess. When understood as Black excess, Black sound needs to be repressed or excised because we live in a society wherein uh, the unmarked will always signify as white and thus reinforcing the naturalness of Black nowheres in the settler state. The practice of sonic surveillance and regulation of public spaces, specifically of Black folk who are marked as Black noise and Black excess is not new. Examples include uh, the image on the screen of a collar with bells, which was used to deter attempted uh, escapes by the enslaved who had previously tried to uh, win their freedom by running away, or how jazz and cabaret laws in Paris and New York during the Prohibition era were unjustly and overtly abused by authorities on Black musicians to quote unquote, ensure public safety, control noise, and curb crime and disorder, and so on. So increasingly over the past few years in the GTA, there's been a shift towards sonically regulating black spaces, particularly those um, when folks are gathering in times of celebration, life uh, and work and just enjoying themselves and just being. And so my focus allows me to interrogate anti-black practices, exposing how city policy maintains quote unquote neutral public spaces through the quote unquote neutrality of the law, which in fact comprise anti-black practices and reinforce material black nowheres through listening as surveillance. Uh, case one, which I need to thank Christopher for bringing to my attention uh, years ago, is about uh, Western classical music and how Western classical music is often touted as a pinnacle of human achievement. 
It's thought of as a sophisticated genre celebrated for its capacity to stimulate cognitive and emotional intelligence, creativity, and even alleviate listener stress. This framing of Western classical music is not devoid of a class politic in that uh, in the popular imaginings of the genre, its audience is a niche upper class and predominantly white audience with refined taste and intellectual capacity to enjoy it. In our contemporary moment, an anxiety-riven narrative continues to circulate about the diminishing relevance of Western classical music as the result of a growing disinterest of younger generations in the genre and a preference for contemporary popular music and urban music genres. While this conversation has been challenged by numerous examples of youth engaging in classical music as performers or audiences, as well as by the social and cultural value placed in Western classical music, my work explores how the genre is used as a sonic weapon to deter undesirable quote unquote loiterers uh, who are more specifically in relation to youth uh, and public and private owned spaces across Canada, the US and the UK. The, the practice of broadcasting classical music in public spaces as a deterrent is believed to have begun in 1985 when a branch manager of a 7-Eleven convenience store in British Columbia began broadcasting classical and easy listening music in the store's parking lot to prevent teenagers from congregating there. Since this initial practice, classical music has been used as a deterrent in public transportation systems across North America and the UK to reduce loitering based on the belief that loitering leads to undesirable behaviors, particularly those of crime. A community safety audit report was conducted in Toronto in 1998 after a fatal stabbing at Kennedy Station located on the east end of the city. The audit report suggested playing classical music in addition to new lights, CCTV, and additional security patrols to repel Kennedy Station's problem of what it called, quote unquote, nefarious youth. In terms of the Black Nowhere, the Wellesley Institute's 2019 report on inclusive cities and the experiences of racialized youth helps contextualize the importance of the judgment and implication of the safety audit report. First, that youth in the GTA disproportionately experience spatial inequality due to accessibility and affordability issues. As, uh, and as a result, the leisure spaces most accessible to them are those that are public, malls, bus terminals, train stations, parks, and so on to engage in social behaviors where they can enjoy themselves. The 1998 community audit that specifically criminalizes youth at Kennedy Station is important because the youth that live and occupy the space are predominantly Black and racialized. While youth have identified in many reports, including the Wellesley Institute's Black Experience Project, uh, that they already feel socially excluded and isolated because they are often treated with suspicion or perceived as a threat, the audit's suggestion specifically to use classical music because it is, because it is quote, um, uh, music that the listener will find repellent. Uh, it suppresses dopamine production in the brain, souring their mood and making them void the music, unquote, operates as a tool that sonically profiles as a form of violence and infringes on youth's ability to move freely and without fear in public space. Nearly 19 years later, the idea expanded to other specific stations, including Warden, Victoria Park, Finch, Runnymede, and Dundas West stations. 
Mapping these stations in these communities in Toronto and Scarborough reaffirms how the city enacts violence against Black and racialized youth by assuming that they are a disruption to the perceived safety and function of the physical space that connects people to other parts of the city, rather than considering them citizens of the city who too should be considered as patrons of the space. As reported by the Wellesley Institute study, deterring Black youth from being in the space of transit systems, which are necessary for them to connect to better resources at the core of the city, perpetuates Black youth's inability to connect to their city. The disproportionate exclusion and Black nowhere racialized youth uh, continue to face is troubling, especially because in the GTA, 48.8% of the population identifies as visible minority. And in the category of youth, the numbers are much higher, uh, where it's 77.8% in Brampton, 62.6% in Mississauga, and 61.2% in Toronto. And so the racializing and criminalizing of youth from young ages when they are simply just trying to be reinforces that black youth have no place in the city. The second case study of black excess I explore concerns the 2015 mistreatment of Afrofest in Toronto. Afrofest, one of the largest annual gatherings of African communities in North America, has been held in Toronto since 1989 and is a free annual music festival that celebrates the richness and diversity of African cultures by bringing together many African communities in Canada. The festival took place in the core of the city at Queen's Park from 1990 until 2011 when it was moved to Woodbine Park, which the map on the screen shows. Um, the city did not provide the festival with a permit to continue at Queen's Park, claiming the festival outgrew the space. This is the first instance of the Black Nowhere with respect to Afrofest. Toronto, like many other major cities, continues to excise Black and racialized working class communities from the cores of their cities to the, to the outskirts in the name of gentrification. Moving this festival, which is a predominantly Black audience, from an accessible location to one that is not only difficult to reach on public transportation, but also located in a residential community that is not racially diverse, put the festival in a precarious position. While the logic that Woodbine Park is home to other busy events, such as Canada Day celebrations and the Beaches Jazz Festival, uh, in 2016 when the city ordered Afrofest to cut the festival schedule, from two days to one day, citing quote unquote permissible sound levels and permitted timeframes were exceeded in previous festival uh, years, quote unquote, is unsettling. Peter Toe, president of Music Africa, denied the city's claim and pointed out that, quote, the sound company Afrofest employs does most of the events at Woodbine Park, including Canada Day and Beaches Jazz Festival concerts, and uses the same sound equipment crew and sound levels and so the volume at afrofest is no different than those at the events uh, than th the other events but in our case they are being called violations unquote the city's first move of afrofest from queen park uh, queen's park to woodbine park already rendered black being as excess framing the festival as having outgrown the space, citing damage to the areas of grass as trampled too much and damage to oak tree already embodies the black nowhere. However, one in 2015, despite using the same sound company, engineer and so on, the festival is rendered as excess through the noise it makes, 
the noise being continental African musics played in the beaches, which is a wealthier, predominantly white neighborhood, underscores the issue. In an interview, festival organizer Peter Toe reports that in 2015, bylaw officers at the festival said they had received noise complaints at 11.30 a.m., which is before the festival even began, calling attention again to how it isn't about Black music or noise, but about Black excess and the space as a Black nowhere needing to be maintained as such. After public outrage, as well as protests by BLMTO, who included a full restoration of Afrofest to two days in their list of demands uh, to the city during Tent City, the festival was restored, yet the issue remains that Blackness is regulated, surveilled, and treated as noise that needs to be silenced as a Black nowhere. Perseverance. Persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. The aforementioned line prefaced the Summer of Sounds Festival Incorporated, better known as SOS Fest Inc.'s, advertising to promote uh, the return of their much anticipated Caravana Weekend events, Carnival Kingdom and Big People Fet, following the controversial last minute cancellation of both events in early August 2018. Both Carnival Kingdom and Big People Fet were canceled by the City of Vaughan's Chief Licensing Officer, who revoked SOS Fest Inc.'s permit two hours before Carnival Kingdom and the day before Big People Fet, citing residential complaints of excessive noise. Ronaldo Walcott and Adil Abdullahi refer to Carabana as the gift. It forms the centerpiece attraction for visitors during the first weekend of August, which also coincides with Emancipation Day. However, another factor that brings visitors are the fets that occur that entire long weekend. And so as a space inextricably linked to uh, Caribbean uh, carnival, soca fets refer to parties usually uh, outdoors in which soca music is performed, danced to and enjoyed. And so um, Ryan Persadi mentions that in drawing upon carnival histories and legacies of sonic and embodied archives of nonconformity toward neo-colonial powers, the Soka Fet is generative of distinct sites of diasporic Caribbean cathartic release or transgressive modalities of free up that unsettle and critique regimes of racial, class, sexual and gender normativity upheld by Canadian and Caribbean nations. And so in 2018, when SOS Fest Inc. had run its events for seven years and the entertainment company planned on hosting its Caravana event, Rejuvenet, uh, Carnival Kingdom and Big People Fet in the city of Vaughan, a suburb located north of Toronto at the Improve uh, Canada Outdoor Entertainment Complex, which is an industrial area on Keel Street located beside the 407 Highway, which this map shows um, because the venue could accommodate a larger audience. So while the first event, Rejuvenet, was held Friday, August 3rd, 2018, the permits for Carnival Kingdom and Big People Fet for Saturday and Sunday were canceled two hours before the start of Carnival Kingdom on Saturday, August 4th, 2018, and the day before Big People Fet, saying that the festival did not comply with the terms of the permit. More specifically, the city insisted that SOS Inc. had violated the permit by being over capacity and producing excessive noise the night of the first event. SOS Fest Inc. made clear that the reason the city of Vaughan used uh, to determine that cancellation of the permit was unfounded. 
And so in early October 2019, SOS Fest Inc. filed a lawsuit against the city of Vaughan, specifically naming the mayor, uh, Ward 4 Councillor, uh, and the Ward 4 Councillor for canceling the FETs, citing, quote, an abuse of power after the permit issued to the festival was suddenly revoked, unquote. Uh, so through a Freedom of Information request, SOS Inc. obtained emails exchanges between the MP and city staff, wherein uh, the MP, Young Rocco, pressed the events be shut down to, quote, ensure that this does not happen tonight or ever. And then the email does not was in cap, cap, all caps. And so while in information earlier released on behalf of the city, it was made public that around 80 noise complaints had come in the night of the first event. And then the lawsuit makes it clear that Young Rocco had received three noise complaints from constituents in the Dufferin and Rutherford Road area, which is marked on the map. Not only are both reported areas of complaints about seven to nine kilometers away from the site of the FET, but there are also two highways, the 407 and Highway 7, that cut across the industrial area to a more residential area between the site of the FET and the complaints. Uh, further, a City of Vaughan bylaw officer the, and the Director of Bylaw and Compliance Licensing and Permit Services of Vaughan raised doubts about the FET being the location where the noise came from. The bylaw officer wrote to another city staff member that he suspects that's not uh, and they are referring to the sound, is not from the FET, but that's from the laugh party that happened apparently in the north end of Ward 3. There's so much to unpack in these short statements that have been made public via the lawsuit. However, what is offered provides enough to think through Black excess and a sonic respectability politics in the suburbs. Regina Bradley makes the connection between the suburbs and sonic blackness as the sound that it is perceived as black that enters spaces where physical blackness could be readily refused. Suburbs rely on the idealistic notion of a phys uh, physically and sonically constructed white ambivalence to racial and class anxieties associated with cities, often connected to imagery and sounds of perfect peace. Thinking with the concept of a sonic respectability of the suburbs, the MP's uh, response to receiving three noise complaints and automatically connecting them to a FET can be read as an attempt to protect her suburb from spatial problems she connects to the quote unquote noise of the FET. The uh, MP's insistence that this does not happen tonight or ever, despite internal communications from city staff expressing concerns, shutting down uh, the event on short notice, as well as no concerns being expressed from both a bylaw officer and regional police officer who were on duty at the previous night's event, even with the bylaw officer asking if the event was still in progress because they didn't hear much noise frames the sound of the FET as an aural pollutant that is a disruption that should be controlled, suppressed, and exterminated. SOS Fest Inc. emphasized everything done on their part was done in order to ensure the conditions of the permit were followed, particularly the hiring of a sound engineer specifically to ensure the decibels of the music being played followed the conditions of the permit. The dismissal of other events happening in closer range uh, to the noise complaints, as well as other major issues with noise in the city, such as fireworks, um, as acceptable while uh, insisting FETs never happen again, not now or ever, suggests a process of making Black sounds affiliated with freedom and joy as sounds that are illegible and excess in the space of the suburb, a Black nowhere.
I'd like to close with a brief engagement with Torontonian hip-hop artist Just John Song, Noise, from the EP Black Beret, which was released in late 2017. Noise, which John describes as uh, a song that was produced by Febra, is a bouncy party anthem and a middle finger flip at all the killjoys. Um, at the time, John was hosting events at his art gallery, Blank Canvas Gallery on St. Clair West, and the tenant upstairs kept complaining. John expresses that in um, Noise, he sought to shed light on Toronto's venue crisis while making you dance. John says he wrote Noise as a way to translate his frustrations into art and to make something that was groovy, lighthearted, and could help you get through it. He wanted to make a very musical record and still call it Noise as a subtle middle finger to the fun wreckers that try to eradicate culture by using policies to stop cultural events from happening. I'm going to play some clips from the um, background, uh, or, yeah, the background of shooting the film. So not only do the song and video visually and lyrically engage in a critique of the use of noise bylaws to surveil and shut down spaces, but sonically in the instrumental of this song, uh, John uses a faster beats per minute than a typical song. This beat John equates to expressing the frustration of getting noise complaints and putting them into the groove and funk of music. This is the Black Nowhere. Uh, the closing of the gallery, which makes a physical nowhere for blackness and black being, just John's artistic response is one you can now hear as it is nowhere in the song lyrically, instrumentally, and visually in the video. What emerges is an assertion of black being outside of the logics of anti-black racism that produces generative spaces for black joy. And so I wanna end with this uh, quote that I borrow from uh, Dion Brand via Catherine McKittrick's article, Rebellion Invention Groove, uh, wherein Brand is quoted as saying, black music leaves you open and up in the air and that this is the space some of us need, an opening to another life tangled up in this one, but an opening. Uh, in the article, McKittrick discusses how, uh, quote, writing on black music abound, track and uh, range of social, political, economic, affective, and geographic patterns and contexts. Black musical aesthetics not only emerge within and against long-standing anti-black practices, they are heard and listened to across and in excess of the positivist workings of anti-black logics. Black music, what we hold on to and what we hear, moves between and across and outside ungraspable waveforms, the anti-colonial pol politics underpinning black cultural production and the racial economy of white supremacy that denies black personhood." Unquote. So to me, there's no better way to put the problematic my project works through. 
Black musical practices, Black cultural production, Black celebrations in public spaces, and Black life in general are about the importance of alternative ways of being in a world where Blackness is coded as noise, that which is unwanted, loud, and a disturbance. Applying a sonic sensibility through Black excess to read the Black nowhere not only offers an alternative approach and unit of measure to unsettle the nuances of how anti-Blackness functions in the Canadian settler state, but more so importantly, for me and for Black studies, sound studies, and pop culture studies, it works through how creative expression, whether it be music, visual art, film, TV, radio, podcasts, or sending memes, expresses Black joy and Black life as a humanity that is outside of white supremacy. And this is my project, Academy and Otherwise. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>